The people in this crowd will soon be among almost 40,000 who have seen a new science fiction movie at North Park Cinema 2. The movie is called Star Wars, and since it opened here nine days ago, capacity crowds have filled the 1,100 seats in the theater almost daily. In only nine days, Star Wars has grossed more money than any movie in Dallas history, although the manager of the theater will not yet release the exact amount of profits. Star Wars has been a good luck charm for theaters throughout the country. The movie made $2.6 million nationally during the first three days it played. Although lines at North Park Cinema stretched to more than a half mile long and the movie cost $3.75 a person, no one tonight seemed to mind the crowds. Why are you waiting in such a long line for, to see a movie? Well, we've just been looking forward to seeing it. We've uh, waited about a week and we were hoping the lines had kind of diminished, but we just kind of wanted to see it tonight. We were, we're pretty enthusiastic about uh, space program and things along that nature. Well, I'm a real science fiction fan. I've got hundreds of science fiction books at home, and I think this is going to be a science fiction classic. The distributors of the family science fiction movie, 20th Century Fox, have been near the top of the New York Stock Exchange during the past week because of Star Wars box office success. If the movie continues to draw the crowds and money it has during these early weeks, the North Park theater manager says Star Wars will go on to break all existing motion picture records. This is Jason. And it's Gabe. This week, we are going back to one of our favorite topics, a topic we have talked about many, many, many times, that magic time of the summer of 1977, when there was just that one movie, Star Wars. Specifically, this week, we are talking about Tom Shales, I think, June 77 NPR review of Star Wars. Yeah, and like a lot of reviews and stories from this time, it's always so interesting to go back and see what people thought of this movie when this movie, one, was just a movie, and it was just one movie, and so much of what is become of Star Wars and considered Star Wars and Star Wars stuff is stuff that didn't exist in this first movie. So it's always fun just to kind of see what people latched onto and what at the time they felt that Star Wars was and is. 
Yeah, because you go through and you read a lot of the initial reviews when this movie first came out, and especially this review that we're going to be going in-depth talking about later in the episode, you get the feeling that a lot of critics especially were just kind of perplexed by this movie. Like, audiences were going insane for it. People, it was a phenomenon. It was a blockbuster. The critics whose job it is to kind of analyze this film and its its worth and what it means and what it's saying and what it's it is just weird it's really really weird there at the time in the late 70s mid 70s there was nothing else like this out there and kind of since there's nothing else like it besides other star wars things star wars created that new kind of genre of you know, it's cliche now, but of all the the genres that George Lucas was into. But yeah, it is. It's just a reflection of the beauty of that first movie. And seriously, how weird it is. And how much it works on its own, too, as just a fun adventure without all the the baggage of being this huge intergenerational saga. It's just it works as just a fun in and out sci-fi action fantasy movie for kids and grown-ups and everybody it's kind of like when we did the episode a few weeks ago a month ago or whatever with the pendulum press comic book that was sent to kids in schools and just kind of how weird and kind of self-contained and innocent and bizarre that was it's so much of the stuff that was going on in the summer of 77 revolving around just that one movie is all kind of like that. It's, it's so fascinating to go back and read that now, like you were saying, like the attitudes just towards that one movie. Well, and, and, you know, the beginnings of fans doing what fans do and kind of obsessing over every little detail and, finding all of these little things in this singular movie where there's not this entire universe of stories to to go into and 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 find out about and you know compare things to and all of that like there's just there's just what two hours just over two hours of star wars stuff to obsess over i can't we were really little <laughs> And we didn't really start coming in until, like, really getting our going until, like, Empire and Jedi. But I, can't, I just can't imagine, like, the, the generation, like, before us that were, like, 12, 13. It's bizarre to think. Maybe that's why we're so fascinated by this, you know, because it was, like, the one thing we were too, we were, like, babies and didn't get to really absorb, you know? No, I think that's true because it's, like, yeah, we kind of were, you know old enough to absorb all of this really when the, the original trilogy kind of all existed, like, you know, return of the Jedi's where we became the most obsessed with this and kind of, you know, and it was all one big thing. And yeah, and it is, it's like, it's, we're, we're like the, the robots at the end of AI, like trying to figure out where we came from. We're looking at the the little boy android to figure out if if he really loved his mother or or whatever they're trying to do. That's what we're trying to figure out. What was it like when there was only one Star Wars? <laughs> the human race is gone, and now we must rediscover. Yeah. Yeah. What what was it like to see it for the first time? <laughs> the 
Star Wars. Eventually, he never moved at all. But his eyes always stayed open, staring ahead forever all through the darkness of each night. And the next day. And the next day. Thus, 2,000 years passed by. So we looked at a bunch of reviews from the summer of 77, and there's a lot of kind of similar things, right? There was a great article from 2015, like right before Force Awakens came out in Entertainment Weekly, where they compiled a bunch of reviews, right? Yeah, some of the uh, kind of highlights of the reviews that came out in 77. So things like Pauline Kale from The New Yorker saying Star Wars is like getting a box of Cracker Jacks, which is all prizes. Roger Ebert, Star Wars is a fairy tale, a fantasy, a legend finding its roots in some of our most popular fictions. And then you get things like John Simon of New York Magazine, strip Star Wars of its often striking images and its highfalutin scientific jargon. And you get a story, characters, and dialogue of overwhelmingly banality without even a future cast to them. Oh, oh, John Simon. Oh, John Simon. Stay tuned, Blast Points listeners, because one day we're going to do the the ultimate John Simon Star Wars episode where John Simon was not a fan. Derek Malcolm of The Guardian says, viewed dispassionately, and of course, that's desperately difficult at this point in time. Star Wars is not an improvement on Mr. Lucas's previous work, except in box office terms. Stanley Kaufman wrote in the June 18th edition of New Republic, this picture was made for those, particularly males, who carry a portable shrine with them of their adolescence, a chalice of a self that was better than before the world's affairs in any complex way, sex intruded. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, another good one is Joy Gould Boyum from the Wall Street Journal. There's something depressing about seeing all these impressive cinematic gifts and all this extraordinary technological skills lavished on such puerile materials. <laughs> Later in the review, it says, It's the triumph of camp, that sentiment which takes delight in the awful simply because it's awful. Well, <laughs> you know, it might be on something there. <laughs> We got to cleanse the palate here. What are some of the other good ones? Well, yeah, it's not all it's not all bad ones. Uh, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune said Star Wars is not a great movie in that it describes the human condition. It simply is a fun picture that will appeal to those who enjoy Buck Rogers style adventures. All right. All right. Charles Champlin of the Los Angeles Times said that George Lucas has been conducting a lifelong double affair, embracing the comic strips on the one hand and the movies with the other. Now he has united his loves in Star Wars, the year's most razzle-dazzling family movie. Uh, that should be on a T-shirt. The year's most razzling-dazzling family movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and meanwhile, the most important factor in all of this, the audiences. The audiences were going nuts. I love looking at old footage of people like waiting in line and people talking about how many times they've gone to see Star Wars. I've seen Star Wars about a dozen times. Of Star Wars, 17 times. Star Wars, uh, 
Because that's the real thing that there was Jaws, there was The Exorcist, there was The Godfather, there was Gone with the Wind, there was Wizard of Oz, there were huge movies before. But there was something different about Star Wars where people couldn't stop going to it. And believe me, I know exactly how that feels. And I am like, we are guilty of that. And I think everyone we know, all of like all the fellow Star Wars fans we know, it's just common. It's just like, well, I'm going to go see it at least 10, 15 times. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. That sounds totally normal, totally fair. That's what you do with Star Wars. You watch it a lot. And I never really questioned like how weird that is, kind of, because there's other movies that I love. I see them and I love them and I that was a really great movie. But I never think in my head, I want to watch that 24 times. But there's something about Star Wars where it's just inherent, where we want to watch it over and over and over again. And we're not the only ones. And we're recording this on the eve of Rogue One coming back out into theaters. But they know everyone's already seen Rogue One and they know we want to watch it again. I know. And of all the of the Star Wars movies, it was the one that was most recently in the theater because they showed it for the like mystery Star Wars Day for Disney Plus Day. Was that last year already? So it's like not complaining. But that's something that started in the summer of 77. And it just kind of speaks to the bizarre power of that original movie, the the pace of it, the incredible energy you get from that original film well yeah and it's the it's the kind of movie where if you're into it you're gonna be really into it (laughs) it's hard to just be like yeah it was all right it's you're either gonna be john simon or you're recording episode 324 of a podcast dedicated to this whole thing yeah What's the meaning of it all? Who knows and who cares? Star Wars became the new box office champion by providing pure 100% escapist entertainment. It's one of those rare movies that seems to play to every sort of audience, Gene, and bring out the kid in all of us. You know, I've seen the picture three times, and that sequence more than that. And every time I see that little fighting sequence, I think I figured out the secret of at least that chunk of the movie. And that is, that looks exactly like what happens at a pinball game that kids love. We're seeing things blow up, and I think the way this movie is shot different ways, quick action like that. It's like you're putting every person as a pinball player who walks into the theater. Maybe that's why people can see it a dozen times or two dozen times, because it doesn't matter that you know the story. You still have the sound and light, the effects, the explosions, the uh, the dogfight in outer space. It's just a never-ending visual delight. I the think only, it's, you know, it's a movie that will last for years. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about is it's so successful and so mindless fun that I hope Hollywood doesn't forget that there are people who like to see serious pictures, too. So, okay, the NPR review, the focus of this whole episode, it's by noted film critic Tom Shales. Not only did he do reviews for the NPR, he's an accomplished author. He filled in 
with Roger Ebert after Gene Siskel passed away. He wrote the incredible like history of Saturday Night Live book. His his list of accomplishments is huge, right? Yeah, he received a Pulitzer Prize in 1988 for his work at the Washington Post. And he's still out there. I think he may be retired. So let's just play his original review, like we said, of Star Wars from the summer of 1977. Let's just play it through from beginning to end for everyone to listen to. And then afterwards, we're going to talk a little bit about why it's so interesting. And we're going to dissect it bit by bit. So let's just play the whole thing. Here we go. It is unquestionably splendibulous. It is indubitably phantasmical. It is the greatest kids picture for adults since The Wizard of Oz. Star Wars is eye-popping, mind-spinning, ear-piercing, bubble-blowing adventure. It isn't the film of the future. It's the film of the future of the past. It takes place eons ago in another galaxy, and it has few, if any, moral pronouncements to make, allegories to mount, or sermonettes to preach. Star Wars also offers us a tale in which good challenges and triumphs over evil. In that, it is a celebration of all wish-fulfillment literature, but the film is as unpretentious as it is elaborate. Flash Gordon meets 2001 in Star Wars, and science fiction is back, though not with a vengeance. It is Gulliver's Travels, Homer's Odyssey, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, and Edgar Rice Burroughs. It's really the kind of movie for which movies were invented. George Lucas, who wrote and directed Star Wars, told an interviewer while making the film, I wanted to do a modern fairy tale, a myth. And he's done it. He's made a sci-fi film without a lot of nuisance redeeming social value. That's something of a triumph for Lucas, who previously made the message-laden and Orwellian THX-1138. There is a reference to that film in Star Wars. Someone says into a radio, call back 1138. Star Wars took $8 million in several years to bring off, but it's been brought off grandly. Perhaps the most affecting profundities are accidental ones, just as natural symbolism can be so much more pungent than intentional. Star Wars is casually profound. In an atmosphere of seemingly groundless escapism, it worships the air we hang in. Without ever stopping for a breath, much less the making of a statement, Star Wars celebrates that portion of the human brain that is shared by the brilliant and the stupid. It is the imagination, which in recent years American movies have not given much of a workout. Star Wars puts us back on a direct course to reckless conjecture, the very best kind. It turns the icy cold universe into a setting as romantic as Sherwood Forest, Atlantis, the Emerald City, and Hollywood of the 1930s. Against an army of bedazzling visual spectacles, actors would seem to stand little chance. But the forces of decency embodied in this film by Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Alec Guinness emerged through the skillful manipulations of Lucas as warm-blooded and dimensional and funny. And a movie newcomer named Harrison Ford is especially impressive. Together they search hyperspace for the monstrous Black Death Star, piloted by Peter Cushing. And helping in this expedition are an Edward Everett Horton-esque robot and a slightly two-suit walking midget computer, the C-3PO and the R2-D2, or vice versa, as well as a shaggy and ornery Chewbacca, who is virtually all bark. Other than with an anticlimactic climactic explosion, Star Wars never lets its audience down. It's the stoned movie you don't have to be stoned for. An action splash route without any depressing violence. And a close encounter of the best kind. We now return control of your radio to the military-industrial establishment. This is Tom Shales. 
Fascinating, right? That's really, really, really interesting. It, you, and you'd never, you, before we started getting ready for this, you hadn't heard that before. No, I had never heard this one before. And it's a lot of fun. It's a fun, <laughs> just the review itself is fun, but it also is a very interesting take on the film as far as the things that it latches onto and then things that it kind of maybe misses because there was just this one movie. It's a fascinating little snapshot in time of a very interesting take on, yeah, just what is this thing called Star Wars? What is going on in it? Why should anyone care about it? Will anyone care about it in the future? Well, and also how many things now with all the interviews of, you know, from Lucas over the years of, of his intentions for the movie are things that people caught on to or things that they missed. Yeah, because I think that was the thing after the movie came out. I think every religion in the world tried to take ownership of like, oh, it's about this. It's about that. Like when they talk about the force, they're talking about our religion and Lucas wasn't talking as much about yeah the things that now he's done every, you know, it's all about love, people. It's all about kindness and don't be a jerk to people. You know, like <laughs> that's kind of stuff just wasn't around. And it's it's kind of neat to think that this could all be about whatever you wanted it to be. And it still can. Well, and, and as always, how you interpret something doesn't necessarily have to be the way the creator intended you to interpret it. Chances are the creator wants you to interpret it any way you want. So let's start breaking down Tom Shale's review. Let's listen to the first part, maybe my favorite part of the whole review, and talk about what's going on. It is indubitably phantasmical. It is the greatest kids' picture for adults since The Wizard of Oz. Tom is saying some of my favorite words of all time in there. Splendibulous. Indubitably phantasmical. Sometimes you run out of adjectives to say about Star Wars, but Tom did not, and he picked the right ones. Well, and I love that right away, it's the greatest kids' picture for adults since Wizard of Oz. Because that, I mean, that's in one sentence, that's Star Wars. It's the greatest kids' picture for adults. That's everything Disney, that's Disneyland. That's Star Wars. It's, yeah, it's a kid's picture for adults and kids too. But it it's so to the point where, you know, kids are taking something out of Star Wars that is incredible and awesome. Adults are taking something out of Star Wars that is incredible and awesome. And we all love it together. And to, to be able to get that on just the original film to have and to start your review out with with that. Star Wars is eye-popping, mind-spinning, ear-piercing, bubble-blowing adventure. It isn't the film of the future. It's the film of the future of the past. I don't remember the bubble-blowing part in this movie. Do you? <laughs> but I think I think what he's saying is it's like, it's a carefree adventure, I think. It's, <laughs> but it's, it's eye-popping. It's mind-spinning. It, it is ear-piercing. I think what he's saying with all that is Star Wars is a lot. And and he would be right. <laughs> and again, I like the the description of the of it being the film of the future of the past. Because that is a very good description, kind of you could say that of the the Star Wars aesthetic where it's 
it looks like the future, but it's old, but also just the style where it's kind of an old timey adventure movie, but glossed up for a new generation. Well, and that's the the like one of the wonderful things with light and magic too. It's the the reminder of how mind blowing the visual effects of the original film are, and still the fact that it, it was able to get done. Period is mind blowing, and how innovative that film still is like it still doesn't make any sense how they were able to finish that movie and it is what it is and you could say with like the the ear piercing part of it with john williams incredible score and ben burt's mind-blowing sound work but the core of the film like you were saying and like tom shale's review is saying is very old-fashioned it's mythology it's films of the past it's kurosawa it's westerns it's all like we said all the cliches that people talk about like have you ever seen hidden fortress that's you know everything in star wars is all you know the things that all the people always say to sound smart but it's true and it's 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 the film of the future of the past it's it's very very true it takes place eons ago in another galaxy and it has few if any moral pronouncements to make allegories to mount or sermonettes to preach well, this is a tricky one because it's like we've talked about before. Star Wars didn't kind of get into its moral pronouncements, allegories, or sermonettes to preach until kind of the end of Return of the Jedi. But the end of Return of the Jedi was so huge that it rippled through the other two films and continues to ripple today. I mean, yeah, anything the the moral and is kind of – it's a laid back moral of, you know, I guess the best thing is it's not preachy with what, what message is there. And if you're not looking for a message, you're not going to find one. But if, you know, like a lot of good things, if you dig in a little deeper, there's hints of it, but it is very, yeah, it's not, you know, in your face preachy about what the message of the movie is. Star Wars also offers us a tale in which good challenges and triumphs over evil. In that, it is a celebration of all wish fulfillment literature. Well, I guess that is kind of summing up the sermonette that the the original film has to preach. It, it it is good over evil. It's a happy ending, and that's kind of you know later on when you know there's oh Star Wars should have a, a moody, bittersweet ending like when they get to Return of the Jedi. It's kind of like well, this movie part of what made this movie. What it was, was it was just a yeah, a good old-fashioned happy ending. You feel great at the end of the movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, and I think it's, it's almost more of an anomaly now in Star Wars because Star Wars has kind of embraced that almost kind of melancholy ending. You had something like the ending of Book of Boba Fett with Boba tossing fruit to the mods <laughs> and everyone smiling and having a good time. And it was kind of like, wow, what is this? And it's like, well, it, it's a Star Wars kind of happy ending. Yeah, yeah. It's okay to do that. Yeah, because we really, we haven't gotten one since A New Hope. Really? I mean, Return of the, the Return of the Jedi kind of, but not really, isn't is happy, but not that happy. And Phantom Menace is pretty happy, but it's really kind of not. I mean, maybe Solo, but, you know, it's still kind of bittersweet. Rogue One, obviously, it's a little bittersweet. So, yeah, I mean, there's something 
special about this original movie. And yeah, it's, you know, and like he says, it's, it is a celebration of wish fulfillment literature. It's a story that the good guys win and you feel great at the end, which is why people just got back in line. It's an energizing, happy movie. And you, you get a rush from watching it, especially on the big screen. But I love this next one here. But the film is as unpretentious as it is elaborate. I just think that's genius. Yeah, no, that's a perfect description. Because it is, it's not pretentious. It's not, Star Wars is not, the original, the original film is not show-off-y. Star Wars is never show-off-y. But it's also extremely elaborate in every single way. And that the building blocks were there in the original film. The DNA of what spread into everything else. Well, and that's, you know, another reason you want to watch these movies over and over again is there, it feels like one thing and you watch it again and there's, there's layers to it and there's other things to discover and there's always something new to find. And even if it's, you know, you're obsessed with the creatures in the cantina or something, you know, there's always new things to find. And that's kind of, you know, part of the magic of Star Wars is it seems like there's less there than there really is. And normal people that don't care about that stuff can just watch it and enjoy it and be like, there was a lot of cool stuff in that. I don't need to know every detail, but for people that are like, I loved that. And I want to know every detail about everything. It's also there for you. We know how that goes. <laughs> Flash Gordon meets 2001 in Star Wars and science fiction is back though. Not with a vengeance. It is Gulliver's Travels, Homer's Odyssey, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, and Edgar Rice Burroughs. It's really the kind of movie for which movies were invented. I like the beginning in that where he says it's Flash Gordon meets 2001. Science fiction is back, though not with a vengeance. Because that's the thing that Star Wars, it's not trying to be 2001. It's not even trying to be Star Trek. It's not trying to be science fiction. It's space fantasy. Well, and the part about it being a movie for which movies were invented is great, too, because it is so much. Star Wars is about movies. And even though over the years there's been so much other stuff in books and in games and comics and now TV shows, but there is at its core, it's a story told in the movie language and movie format. Like it's made to be a visual story it's not necessarily made to be read it's made to be watched and it, it's a very visual story when you you listen to any interview with so many star wars authors and that's something they always talk about is the rhythm of star wars and the feel of star wars and the very unique way in which star wars stories are told and them wanting to honor that in their novels in comics or in video games. I mean, how many video games open up with a crawl? It's like, do we need a crawl for Masters of Terrace Well, we have one, you know? Well, and it's the idea, too, of the story working without dialogue and that the visuals and the, the sounds carry the story as much as the words do. It was designed to be a movie, and it wasn't a book first or a, some other art form. George Lucas, who wrote and directed Star Wars, told an interviewer while making the film, I wanted to do a modern fairy tale, a myth. And he's done it. He's made a sci-fi film without a lot of nuisance redeeming social value. 
This is another one where you hear it and you're like, well, I think it has quite a bit of social value, even even just the original film. It, it's almost like Tom Shales is kind of in awe of the film, but also kind of thinking this is just kind of disposable fluff. Well, and it, I think it, it's probably, you know, going back to that movie at, on its own, any of that stuff is more subtle. And it's also like we're saying with the comparison to, you know, 2001 versus Star Wars, where there's not that, or even a Star Trek, where there's kind of the the socially conscious sci-fi story where you're showing something about society in the modern day, but you're telling it in a future story to kind of, you know, make it almost palatable in a way you couldn't with a, with a more realistic story. And as much as there is kind of the mythology element, Star Wars is more about the adventure and the social value is kind of more implied than being the point. Yeah. And that's interesting because it's like, it's still, it, it reminds me of the people who still today are like, why does Star Wars have to be political? Star Wars has never been political. And it's yeah. like, yeah, right. uh, yeah, it has. But there are, it's, it's like how it's always shocking that there are people in 2022, whatever, who you never got that out of any of the other films, you know, you never realize that, you know, these movies are saying something. Yeah. I mean, it's this, there's a surface layer action adventure story that you can enjoy and watch without kind of noticing that other layer just below it, where there is some of that nuisance redeeming social value just beneath the surface. (laughs) When star Wars came out, everybody said, Oh, it's a silly movie. It's just a, a bunch of space battles and stuff. It's not real. There's nothing behind it. And I said, well, there is stuff behind it. It's not just a space battle. There's more to it than that. It's much, much more complicated than that. That's something of a triumph for Lucas, who previously made the message-laden and Orwellian THX-1138. There is a reference to that film in Star Wars. Someone says into a radio, call back 1138. Star Wars took $8 million in several years to bring off, but it's been brought off grandly. Yeah, it's it's like Tom Shales is really kind of separating the original film from something like THX-138, where now you watch THX and the messages in that movie are very similar to messages in Star Wars. You know, THX is not a celebration of wish fulfillment. No. Right? Like, you don't leave that movie pumped to go watch it again, necessarily, so... I do, but that's weird, you know? (laughs) Perhaps the most affecting profundities are accidental ones, just as natural symbolism can be so much more pungent than intentional. Yeah, I, I, that one's really interesting because I, I do think there's some, there's definitely some truth to that, especially because so much grew out of this movie that there probably were things that weren't necessarily part of an initial plan. As much as after the fact, maybe it, it sounded like there was more of a, you know, a plan, but this is kind of a, a good reminder that, you know, kind of a lot of Star Wars was what it was and it became, what it is because the sequels kind of built off of that and added to it and retroactively made things maybe more than they would have been originally. 
and some of that is kind of where people were drawn to as well because there was kind of like well what does this mean does it mean something or doesn't it mean something i don't know and they're you know obsess over it and then later on maybe another movie adds to it and you're like oh it did, it did mean something well and that's like what you're saying in the beginning of the episode where that's something we did live through with everything in Obi-Wan's hut between the conversation between Obi-Wan and Luke obsessing over every little word. And then when the prequels were coming out, it's like, well, all of that has to be in it. And just even something as simple as you fought in the clone wars. Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Oh my God. Like they were Jedi Knights. Like they fought in the clone wars. What does that mean? And now after, you know, now at that scene, it's just like, well, yeah, yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. There's, seven seasons it's on disney plus we can go watch it right now if you want well you can even say with you know the visuals for how much of a of a headache it was to get that movie made that you know there are moments that are what they are because that's what they had but you know to someone who doesn't know that they're beautiful images and they're you know inspiring views and and things that and even you know like the design of the Death Star walls, which, you know, was it's a cool look, but it also was a very practical way to, like, make multiple hallways out of the same stuff. And now that is a visual hallmark of what makes something look Star Wars. And that's a good comparison, too, because, yeah, it's everything again in light and magic. Everyone in it is like they weren't setting out to make a classic for the ages. They were just like. It's a job. George Lucas hired us. John Dykstra hired us, whatever. Like, it's a weird movie. It was a lot of luck and a lot of talent and the perfect timing with a movie that was just right for the time it was released. And it captured the imagination of the world. We, but no one, you know, it's not like George Lucas sat down at a typewriter being like, I'm going to capture the imagination of the world with this thing. <laughs> People are going to go nuts. <laughs> Well, I love this next. This next one's a really simple one. Star Wars is casually profound. That's so true. And I think even as it's gone on, the prequels and the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and what's coming in Andor, and it's casually profound. It's so perfect. Yeah, that's like the, the perfect companion to the, the film is as unpretentious as it is elaborate. Just those two lines of this review are excellent ways to to describe Star Wars as a whole, and as, especially this first movie. In an atmosphere of seemingly groundless escapism, it worships the air we hang in. Without ever stopping for a breath, much less the making of a statement, Star Wars celebrates that portion of the human brain that is shared by the brilliant and the stupid. I love that. I love that. Because like at one hand, it's like, are you... Are you saying this movie's stupid? But yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I I loved hearing this too because it's like this is what we talk about all the time. Where it's like that is the magic of Star Wars. Is it is the brilliant and the stupid at the same time? Like on one hand, it's the goofiest rubber alien doing nonsense you've ever seen, and then the next minute, it's like the most you know inspirational profound heartbreaking yeah and star wars doesn't discriminate between the two it, it can be both at the same time it can be both next to each other it can be yeah it's it's the full spectrum both extremes it's darth vader with a crack in his mask 
you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And Ewan McGregor acting his butt off, crying. But then we're all sitting there on our couch at 6 a.m. Like, woohoo. But then when you, it's the it's the thing like we always talk about. If you separate yourself from your Star Wars fan self and really think about what you're watching, it's ludicrous. It's all insane. It's crazy. Yeah. A cyborg man holding a flashlight, talking to another man holding a flashlight who's crying. Who's a space wizard. Yeah. On on some planet somewhere in space. It's the brilliant and the stupid. It's it's what yeah, it's what makes this whole thing work. It is the imagination, which in recent years American movies have not given much of a workout. Well, I love that too, because that's kind of like what we were talking about early in the episode, that there was like before Star Wars, there was Godfather and there was The Exorcist and there was Jaws, which Jaws is an amazing movie, but Jaws isn't fantastical. Jaws is not the brilliant and the stupid. Jaws is just brilliant. <laughs> you know, like you could make the point that the, this, the concept of the killer shark movie is stupid and Jaws elevates it to something brilliant. Or you could even say that with The Exorcist of a devil possession movie Ooh, kind of stupid, but jaws, but exorcist makes it brilliant, but they don't embrace the stupid quite as much as star Wars does. Well, and they don't go out of their way to show you so many things you've never seen before nonstop for two hours because, you know, jaws has an, a crazy shark in it where if it was star Wars, there would be that shark would be in the first two minutes and then they're on to the next thing you've never seen before it is a workout of imagination it is true and that's part of the wonderful thing with star wars is it's so much imagination on screen that it inspires the imagination of everyone watching it how many people tell the story of how they were inspired by star wars to either become a filmmaker or a writer or an artist or whatever or star wars is just inspiring George Lucas just spreading his brain across the screen. You can't you can't watch it and not be artistically inspired. Star Wars puts us back on a direct course to reckless conjecture, the very best kind. It turns the icy cold universe into a setting as romantic as Sherwood Forest, Atlantis, the Emerald City, and Hollywood of the 1930s. This one is really wild if you think about it. Sherwood Forest plus Atlantis, plus the Emerald City, plus Hollywood of the 1930s, it's pretty much the prequels. <laughs> oh my God, that's true. <laughs> right? The prequels are more romantic. The prequels really embraced that more so than the original trilogy did. But the original trilogy, you know, the the DNA of the prequels is right there in the, the original film. I mean, if anything the prequels have more in common with the original film than they do the empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. And I think that's the George Lucas factor of it. Yeah. And it's, I just, it's, it's really interesting that those particular, you know, Hollywood kind of hallmarks that he mentions are so almost one-to-one -one <laughs> with the visuals in the prequels. You know, we got an underwater city. We got a giant above ground city. We got the feel of, 30s Hollywood like you know it's it, yeah like you said it's that pure George Lewis Lucas DNA with him actually directing them that the, those influences are all there 
Against an army of bedazzling visual spectacles, actors would seem to stand little chance. But the forces of decency embodied in this film by Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Alec Guinness emerged through the skillful manipulations of Lucas as warm-blooded and dimensional and funny. And a movie newcomer named Harrison Ford is especially impressive. That Harrison Ford, he's going to go somewhere. You know, we got to look out for him. I don't know what's going to happen next for him. Who knows? But I can't wait to see it. But this is a great point where of all the stuff in Star Wars, the original film, the fact that the performances are still as beloved as they are is almost a miracle. Because how many science fiction films or Star Wars knockoffs came out afterwards and you remember the ships or you remember the crazy stuff but if they asked if somebody asked you to remember to name the name of a character or the actor that played that character you'd be like i couldn't i don't know well it's it's nice to get compliments for lucas's directing of actors which you know we may never (laughs) see those again after this interview or this review People love to, you know, to laugh about the performances in any Star Wars, anything, because maybe that's part of the thing that how do you even stand out next to the visual spectacle going on? George Lucas is a master at casting, always has been, always will be. We talked about that when the Kenobi show was coming out and the gift of Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and Jimmy Smith's as Bail Organa. I mean, look at Genevieve O'Reilly coming back in Andor. That's a Lucas casting. He knew what he was doing. Together they search hyperspace for the monstrous Black Death Star, piloted by Peter Cushing. This, I just love in there, because I just love the idea of Tarkin piloting the Death Star. <laughs> I know. When are we going to get that scene someday of him sitting in the, like, Admiral Akbar chair flying the Death Star? Maybe when we finally get to see the Death Star going in and out of hyperspace. My my dream. We will crush the rebel fleet with one swift stroke. And helping in this expedition are an Edward Everett Horton-esque robot and a slightly toot walking midget computer. The C-3PO and the R2-D2, or vice versa. I love this because the C-3PO, the R2-D2. <laughs> Well, you know, they're the stars of the Star Wars, so it all works. As well as a shaggy and ornery Chewbacca, who is virtually all bark. Not the Chewbacca, just Chewbacca. Other than with an anticlimactic, climactic explosion, Star Wars never lets its audience down. Okay, this Tom Shales, I don't agree with you. (laughs) I think the climactic explosion is not anticlimactic. Yeah, I've been trying to wrap my head around this one. (laughs) Unless it was just the idea of when they showed what they needed to do, knowing that it was going to come. Like, I know that I know they're going to blow it up. So when they blow it up, it's anticlimactic to him. It would be like somebody complaining about that same thing with Top Gun Maverick. Like, well, they said what they were going to do. They were going to go down the shaft and they were going to blow it up. So then when they did (laughs) do it, it, I wasn't excited. It's I don't agree with that because the the trench run is a is a masterclass of editing. Paul Hirsch, Marsha Lucas, the tension is incredible. John Williams score and you know it's all up to you, Luke. It's just you know maybe Tom Shales was just so into it where he was just like I was expecting more at the end. Explosions are his favorite characters, and he was expecting he was hoping for the ring wave. <laughs> 
the stoned movie you don't have to be stoned for. An action splash route without any depressing violence. And a close encounter of the best kind. It's the stoned movie you don't have to be stoned for. <laughs> That's a good description of George Lucas. Never touch the wacky tobacco, folks. Not me. Not old GL. <laughs> I had a rum and coke at a party once and I threw up and I was like, never again. <laughs> it's like It almost ruined coke for him. Almost. Almost a keyword. <laughs> My joints are almost frozen. All right, let's light it up. Again, it's... It's you know it's what is this movie is this movie is this movie on is this movie on marijuana what's going on here you, yeah you don't have to be on drugs to feel like you're on drugs because the movie takes you places that you've never been and you have no idea what's happening in the best way am I tripping or is this movie just real weird are we just watching robots for two hours the little creatures with the glowing eyes they just sucked a robot up in a tube and now there's other robots in their big traveling shoebox. <laughs> We now return control of your radio to the military-industrial establishment. This is Tom Shale. Well, this—it's such a interesting, profound look at the original film. And when I heard this for the first time, that's the, I was like, we've got to dissect this because there's so much going on in that. There's so much that resonates within that review. Yeah, just on its own. The the review is entertaining and the things it makes you think about and kind of notice in that original movie and the perspective of someone who was there and was there before this movie existed and after and could tell that something special was happening. Shales went on to do reviews of Empire and Jedi for NPR as hard as we have tried, we've not been able to track those down. If you have, if you know where those are, dear listeners, please feel free to send those our way. Tell us where we can listen to those because we'd love to know how his opinion changed, better or worse, or stayed the same. Who knows? I think that would be fascinating. And it's all interesting, too, kind of going back how the opinion of the original film, the original 1977 film, has changed over the years. I think with coming generations that have grown up with, with the prequels and coming generations have grown up with Clone Wars or the sequels. The original film is just part of the tapestry of Star Wars now, which is really cool and fascinating, I think, to view it that way. Again, I think that's kind of the special thing with Light and Magic that shines a spotlight on what an anomaly and what a accomplishment and game changer the original film is. Yeah, that it's a miracle that it even exists. And everything that has come after it, following in its very bizarre footsteps. The magic of Star Wars does not lie only in its brilliant special effects. Its power derives from something simpler and rarer, the romantic spirit that moves in it. Before it, we are all young again, and everything seems possible.
Star Wars figures, R2-D2. Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia, they're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars early bird certificate package, new from Kenner. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So guess what, everybody? Apple podcast reviews have you heard us talk about it before if you enjoyed this episode we would love it if you would go over there to apple podcasts write a little something nice about the show it will help more people find blast points when they go on apple podcasts and search star wars blast points will come up easier for people and you're helping us out and we love reading your reviews means so much to us and if you listen on spotify go over there leave us a little star review as of recording this we're at 99 (laughs) be the person that gets us to 100 then we'll know what happens ed mcmahon will bring a giant check to our door (laughs) does anyone even know who ed mcmahon is anymore i don't know they don't and make sure you check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're in our Super Chill group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon. Tons and tons and tons of bonus stuff on there. Our full-length commentaries for every episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mandalorian episodes, Bad Batch, Book of Boba Fett, all kinds of cool stuff. Light and magic commentaries. Are they on there already? Are they coming soon? Nobody knows. Maybe they are. Who knows? You'll just have to look and see. (laughs) And in the future, there'll be Andor stuff on there and all kinds of crazy stuff for everything coming out. Because there's so much Star Wars coming in the very near future. And there's some really exciting stuff in the near future happening on this show that we can't wait to share with everybody lots of surprises lots of crazy stuff we thought this we thought you know maybe the second half of 2022 you know Andor's coming out but it'll be kind of chill we'll be able to just kind of do our thing it's getting crazy everybody there's some wild stuff coming on the, on the way with this show oh <sighs> Yeah, we were supposed to take it easy since Andor got pushed back. (laughs) But it's not working. It's been an excuse for things to get crazier. But, hey, it's really exciting. There's going to be some cool stuff coming your way. And speaking of cool stuff, this episode, like we said, is just on the eve of Rogue One returning to theaters. We would love it. After you go see Rogue One in the theater, send us an immediate reaction 
you can record it on, in your car, like the voice memo thing on your phone. Send us what you thought of watching Rogue One in the theater. Tell us why you love Rogue One still to this day. Send it to contact at blastpointspodcast.com. And we just might play it in next week's episode. And if you didn't get tickets to see it at the theater, just watch it again at home. That counts too. Yeah. Sit on your couch and watch it and tell us why you still love Rogue One and why you're sitting at home watching it on a Friday night. <laughs> but that about wraps up number 324 here at Blast Points. If you haven't guessed, next week we will be back talking about that Rogue One movie that we love so much. So until then, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. everything in art you bring out star wars too early and it's buck rogers you bring it out too late and it doesn't fit our imagination you bring it out just as the war in vietnam is ending when america feels uncertain of itself when the old stories have died and you bring it out of that time and suddenly it's a new game also it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to watch star wars Made a